Hello, Freedom Fighters. My name is Danny Flood. Thank you so much for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for optimizing your life to find more adventure, passion, and purpose. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Go check out the new manifesto on lifestyle design, authored by yours truly, Buy Your Own Island, now available on Amazon. It's been called inspiring and empowering and one of the best new books on entrepreneurship. Lifestyle design for 2015 and beyond. Look for it on Amazon or go download the audiobook for free at buyyourownisland.com forward slash audio dash book. Hi, so welcome to the Open World Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Flood, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by Sean D'Souza. He's the host of Three Month Vacation Podcast. Sean is the owner of Psychotactics.com. He teaches marketing, like many people online, but uh, one area where Sean really shines is his ability to uh, craft visual metaphors, which help people to easily understand the information uh, and to distill it, remember it later. And that combined with Sean's uh, natural storytelling ability, along with his charming New Zealand accent, creates a winning combination for his podcast. So I'm really excited to have him on the show, and just want to welcome you, Sean. Oh, glad to be on, Danny. Good to hear you after so long. Yeah, it's great to connect. So um, tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, You do this, uh, you take a three-month vacation every year, uh, but what was your life like before that? Tell me and the listener about your story. I, the reason I started taking a three-month vacation, as in not three months, but we work for three months and then take a month off. And the reason I did that was because I very strongly feel that you, you, have, to, you have to take a break. If you take a break, you get more perspective on your work, you get more relaxed, and when you come back, it's, it's, um, your work's better. But Life before that wasn't too tough. I mean, you know, living in New Zealand, it's. I used to be a cartoonist, and I used to be at home drawing cartoons. It wasn't terrible by any standard, but mentally I always felt that when I went away, someone else would get the job. I wouldn't be paid. I wasn't paid while I was away. So it was frustrating for me mentally, but I don't think it was physically more demanding. So your background is as a cartoonist. How did you uh, transition from that into uh, being a sales expert? I really, I, I got into uh, this whole sales and marketing simply because um, I wanted to go on vacation. I wanted to figure out a way to continue to earn my whatever revenue without without actually being physically around. And luckily for us, uh, Around 2000 is is when the internet started really taking off. I mean, it had started several years before, but all of the e-commerce and people actually buying stuff online that started around 2001, 2002. So it, it was a good transition for us. But I I went there to read. I went to read some books. I'd moved to New Zealand from India, and. That's it. I went to the library. I brought 30 books, all of marketing, started reading them. And then I found out that uh, I was pretty good at it. Um, 
Now, there is a background. I was was already a copywriter uh, in Leo Burnett several years ago, so there was the background. But once I started going out and meeting people, networking, uh, they would often say, well, you know, you talk about our business better than we do. So when the first person says that, you think, oh, they're being kind to me. But when the 20th person says that, you you realize, okay, you've got you've got some ability, and that's when I decided to switch to marketing. It wasn't easy, but we did it. <laughs> I love that. So you went to the library, and you just picked up 30 marketing books, and um... – can, can you name uh, a few of those books that made the biggest impact on you? Um, the first book that really made a big impact on me wasn't a marketing book at all. It was a management book. It was called Good to Great by Jim Collins. Most people have heard of it. And it asked a simple question. It said, what can you be the best in the world at? And I was a cartoonist, and I thought the best cartoon in the world was Calvin and Hobbes by Bill Watterson. And... At that point in time, I thought, well, at this stage, I, co- I, cannot, be the, I cannot be better than Bill. And so it was a bit of a cop-out, really. I thought, you know, what I'm really good at doing more than anybody else is keeping clients. And so that's how I started out in marketing. I started out not trying to get more sales or do anything, but to just keep clients, to show people how they could keep clients for years and years and years. I see. That's fantastic. I think that's where all the money is made, right? Not getting new clients, but but keeping them for the long term. Exactly. I mean, most of our clients are literally friends. Uh, We're going to the States in a couple of weeks. Uh, We're going to be staying with a client for a couple of weeks. Uh, Many of the people that that are are coming to our workshops and stuff, uh, they've been there before. We've gone out to lunch, dinner with them. We've traveled with clients. This is not, you know, like a business expense or whatever. This is purely travel. Um, so we know our, we've over the years we've kept our clients pretty well. I mean, considering the internet, you know, how people come and go, we've had clients for twelve, thirteen years now. Oh, that's fantastic! Thirteen years, you said? Yes, thirty, thirteen years. <laughs> Seems like a long time now. Wow, that's fantastic! I know. Um... Here in Bangkok, where I am, I have a few friends who, well, I have a friend who sells jewelry, um, you know, like in bulk, and uh, his clients will come from Japan and China, and the only difference between him and his competitors is uh, how good of a time he can show them once they're visiting Bangkok, you know, so he'll spend a lot of money taking them out to fancy restaurants and making sure they party hard, and, you know, and if, if they have a great time in Bangkok, he'll get their business, basically, is what it comes down to. Yeah, the most we bribe, the most we bribe our, ch- our clients with is is chocolate, one bar of chocolate. That's all they'll get from us. So, it has to be more than that. <laughs> That's it. Yes, we we now have a hundred bars that we are mailing out. So, <laughs> so that's that's as far as we'll go. So, chocolate is enough to convince them to to hang around. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that's that's uh, reasonably. It's it's not what causes them to hang around. The only reason a client hangs around, you know, I don't believe in the concept of loyalty. I believe that, uh, you know, someone can be very loyal to you and then, you know, you do something really stupid in in a personal relationship and then the person will walk out on you. So loyalty is fickle in a way. It's there, but it's fickle. The only reason why someone sticks around for a very long time and doesn't leave 
is simply because they get something from you. They, you know, you're you're enriching their lives, you're changing their lives, and um, I, I think that's. I mean, I know that's the reason why they stay. It's not because uh, there is a certain amount of loyalty, but mostly it's when when you're able to you're able to get something across, give them stuff that makes a difference to their lives. That's why they come back. And all the products and services that we have, that's precisely what it does. It. Oh, yeah. So I want to jump into that, Sean, because I think that's um, – I want to talk about some, some different tactics because I think that's where uh, your angle on selling is, um, you know, how to trigger these human hot-button motivators within a person's brain. Um in my own experiences, I've learned that uh, the emotion, the experience that you can create around buying often um, matters more than the actual product that you sell. And uh, you have a lot of thoughts on this um, where you talk about, you know, you mentioned uh, giving them results, but also this bikini principle where you offer them a taste of uh, a product or putting up barriers to stimulate uh, a buying frenzy. What what are some of some takeaways that you can uh, suggest? Well, the the fundamental law that I would call a law, not even a, you know anything else, is that you understand how the dictionary Webster's dictionary defines a client, and they say, you know, when you kind of merge it together, it says that a client is someone who comes under your care, guidance, and protection, and so that becomes like a, a child, and you know, someone whose long-term benefit you're looking for. It's not, hey, let's get the money out of them and run. It's someone that you really are saying, okay, this course is not right for you. You don't do this course with us. Go some other place. So it's not just a factor of, hang on, let's just take their money. And so fundamentally, our business has been based on that that definition of a client, which is to guide and protect um, and care, guidance, and protection. That's uh, that's the fundamental layer. That's the fundamental stuff that covers everything. And so, when we do a product, when I I just completed this book on on pricing, uh, I want to be able to give it to my sister and say, you know, if you read this book, your prices will change. And sh- I don't want to. And and being my sister, she you know would come back and say, hey, this this is really bad or this doesn't work or whatever because that's what family does. And I want her to feel like, wow, this this product is so good that I could use it and I don't have to go back to Sean and tell him it's crap. And and that's the kind of feeling that I get. That's the kind of that's the kind of way you want to treat your clients with a lot of respect rather than just here's another way to make money. So you actually think of your your clients as your own children is what you said there. Yes, and in the book, in in the book, that's what I write as well. In the in the pricing book, in you know, in the third book, there is a concept of where you plan your your clients' sequence. You know how they're going to go ahead with you. It makes a big difference. It makes a big difference when you plan something. It's it's uh, the Eastern philosophy. I mean, you live in Thailand now. You know that the Eastern philosophy is dramatically different from the Western philosophy. And that's what they do. They go, you know, in karate, for instance, you have this long-term plan. You know, it's not just, okay, we'll just show you how to fight and then you go out there. No, it's the white belt and then the, 
yellow belt and the orange belt and and then there there's all this these steps and methods and but there's all this planning involved and when you do that i i'm pretty convinced that the clients that appreciate that they stick around i really like that metaphor so basically you are the not just um they're not just your children, but you're kind of like the karate guru, and you're helping them to reach black belt level. So there's there's different belts, as you said, in the process, and the belts could just be um, different products that you offer, or different forms of communication. You know, where you, you touch them and say, you know, like, hey, how's how's it going? You know, I wanted to follow up with you. Um, well, what do you do next? What's the next belt promotion? Well, they know where they're, I mean, the the goal is, is for them to know in advance where they want to go because you've already determined, you've already given them the plan and they know, okay, now that we've bought this thing, um, this is the next step. So clients will, I mean, uh, most of the clients that do workshops and training with us or buy books from us, uh, you know, most of our, our courses are two thousand, three thousand dollars, uh, and on average, we have people doing two, three, four courses. This is an average. This is not, you know, if it, I, I like to, they often call our business Hotel California because it's, you know, how the line goes. It's just you can never leave. Um, you can check out any time, but you can never leave. <laughs> So, so how do you create the self-perpetuating cycle? Um, you know, like if you offer one product, um, what what results are your clients getting? You know, like do they do they see results after uh, a month or two of using one course, and then you say that's great. Now, now we have the next uh, course to offer you. Do you have these products already created, or do you kind of uh, create them as you get real time feedback with your clients? It's based on feedback, but it's also based on what I call sequential pricing. And sequential pricing is like a, um, it's like a meal. When when you go to a restaurant, you first start off with uh, your starters and your drinks, and then you you know you, you go up the, up the scale to the main meal. And then once you finish the main meal, you don't continue to eat a second main meal or a third main meal, and you don't go higher and higher and higher. But you actually come down. You come down to the dessert and you come down to maybe, a, you know, a coffee or whatever. And so essentially the sequence is based on that kind of going up the mountain and coming down. And what happens is that, say, a client wants to learn a skill like article writing or just writing. Well, there are several facets that are involved, you know, say there is outlining and there's storytelling and then there is the entire article writing course itself. So essentially they're climbing up that mountain and then once they're done with that, they're very, very exhausted um, and we've got the plan in place for them so that they can come down that mountain to the point where they're having their dessert and stuff. And and that's when they've completed their skill. What happens with psychotactics is that if they were to go elsewhere to the competitor, we have done such a fabulous job that they should, you know, they should feel that that anxiety when they're dealing with a competitor. They're going like, no, 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 we have to go back because this was such a better, so much of a better experience than, you know. So the experience with psychotactics should be so good that they should even even. I'm I'm happy for them to go to competition so that they can see the difference. Because if they're just with us, they can't tell the difference. I don't know if that answers the question. No, that answers the question beautifully. Because I, I was wondering, because um, I guess this is at your your 
the top of your sequential pricing scale, you have courses on uh, 5000BC.com that you sell for $3,000, $5,000, etc. And for most people, you know, who want to make money online, this, this must seem absolutely crazy. But what you're telling me is that these, these prospects that you're selling these courses to, they've already been primed uh, over time. They've already bought several of your products in advance at a lower end uh, price point. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. The, the other thing is that um, our philosophy is very simple. Like with most marketers or most people, you know, their goal, when, when, when you see them advertise, they're always talking about how this one person made $500,000 or they got 1,000 clients or whatever. It's always one person. It's never um, everyone who joined the course ended up on the other side getting 5,000 clients. Everyone who who joined the course and ended up making $100,000. No. And when you look at that analogy from, say, a pilot's point of view, well, as a pilot, you're, you're not allowed to drop half the people in the ocean. You have to take everyone across. And what we do is we take everyone across. Like right now, we've got an article writing course, and we started almost three months ago. And everyone who's been at the start of the course, has finished it. This is, this is we're asking them, they're business owners. They, we're asking them to put in two, three hours a day. How do you guide someone who is so busy already and then take them across three months of work and they don't drop out? And the, this is the whole planning and the system. It, it becomes very parent-child-like. Okay, so part of the formulation of that type of relationship comes down to lowering the barrier of entry in the beginning, making the barrier to entry so minimal that they can uh, easily get started and uh, see the initial results and also the quality of the product or the service that you're providing to them. If I can interject and kind of add my own experience here, uh, one thing that's worked really well for me, if, if we go back to the uh, front end, um, I've been experimenting with Gumroad, and they offer this uh, pay-what-you-want pricing. Uh, and, and you can set it to, uh, you know, $1. And, you know, if somebody feels that it's, the content's worth more, they can pay more. Um, but I find that's converting really well for me as, like, a front-end sale. If you just start them out, you know, make the barrier to buying so low. And then one thing that's really – another thing that's cool about Gumroad is that you can follow up with your buyers – and then, you know, offer them to trade them up, you know, to a, some, a higher price product. Uh, but <clears throat> the question I wanted to ask you is, um, how do you take the feedback that you mentioned from your customers and create the products uh, further down the line? The, the thing about feedback is that most people think that it's something nice. And usually it is nice, as in it is brutal, um, a lot of the feedback that we get, like, for instance, I just wrote this this book on pricing, uh, and people come back and then they go, you know, you have to change all of these things. And it's going to take me like half the day to finish all these things, to, to change what they're asking. But that is the level of trust that you have to get with the clients, where you're not just putting out a product and saying, you know, I am the king and this is what you get from the king, you know, from the king's palace, but it is an evolving, changing thing. So it becomes a, an object that is anti-fragile. There is a book by Nisim Talib, and he talks about anti-fragility. And anti-fragility is where the feedback, you know, the attack on, on the existing system is so amazing that 
the 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 orga- the organism becomes twice as strong. So the book, the products, they become twice as strong, and it becomes very difficult for competition to cope with something like that. Because most people, what they do is they just put out products or they put out services, and then they don't think about it. We don't put out products and services. We put out versions of products and services. So the pricing book that's just gone out, that's version 1.0. Then clients rip it apart. They say, you know, here are some better examples. Here's where I didn't understand this. Here's how you fix it. And then we get 1.0. And that's what we have now. The brain audit, which I wrote about 13 years ago, that is in version 3.2. So when you treat your, your products and services like versions and you allow your clients to come back and kind of almost tear it apart. But they're not tearing it apart. They're going, make this better for me. Just like um, software is. And if you treat your products and services like software, it completely changes everything for you because now you have to fix the, the bugs. And that's a big thing. I see. So with the customers that bought version 1.0, will they also buy version 2.0? Or do you send that to them uh, as a gift? It depends. I mean, uh, version 1.1, I mean, when we did brain audit, we sold uh, version 1.0 and then we gave away version 2.0, but then they bought 3.0. So it really depends on (laughs) how generous I'm feeling. But it's a massive overhaul. When I make them pay for something, it's going to be a massive overhaul. But, you know, the point is that I just have to announce that a new version is coming out and the very same customers will buy. And this is not unusual. I mean, you think of the music that you bought over the years. I mean, you probably bought a CD, you bought a DVD, you bought, you've gone to the concert of the same singer. You know, it's, you buy different stuff because you want to experience it from a different level. And this is what we do. I see. And um, these, these products, what, what price point are we talking about here? Uh, for these these types of products that you're mentioning? Well, the article writing course is close to $3,000. And or if it is not already past $3,000, I lose track because what we do is we're always increasing prices. But the point is that the price point doesn't matter. What matters is how satisfied, how, how it's the whole pilot concept is, was the client able to go from from this point to that point successfully? Or did they fall off into the ocean? If they did, then either we need to fix it or we need to do something about it. And so if it's a, the $29 product is just as important to me as a $5,000 product. It's not any different. I mean, to a lot of people it would make a difference, but I don't really, I mean, to me, pricing is, you know, is irrelevant. I mean, the, the, a $29 product or a $15 product should be just as good as a $5,000 product. There, I, don't, I don't see the difference. Well, the article course is close to $3,000, or if it is not already past $3,000. I lose track because what we do is we're always increasing prices. But the point is that the price point matter. What matters is how satisfied, how how it's the whole pilot concept is was the client able to go from from this point to that point successfully or did they fall off into the ocean if they did then either we need to fix it or we need to do something about it 
And so if it's a, the $29 product is just as important to me as a $5,000 product. It's not any different. I mean, to a lot of people, it would make a difference, but I don't really, I mean, to me, pricing is, you know, is irrelevant. I mean, the, the, a $29 product or a $15 product should be just as good as a $5,000 product. There, I, don't, I don't see the difference. Okay, Sean, so that, that brings up an interesting point. That's the next thing I would like to ask you about. Uh, let's, let's talk about pricing because that's a big part of the game, um, especially when you're selling something like information products. Um, I, I don't know if people know how to value the information. Maybe the creator doesn't know how to value the information of what they're teaching. Um, I've, I've been experimenting with some different types of products. Like I noticed that um, books aren't selling as well as, as packages. You know, if I sell a package, people inherently think that's more valuable. Um, yes. What's, what's your experience? Like, how, how do you set a price on your products, and how do you uh, translate the value of each product? The book is called Dartboard Pricing because that's precisely what you're doing. You're putting up a dartboard and throwing dots at it. Uh, there is no way that a human being is able to tell the price of anything, let alone, I mean, we're not even talking about information products. If I told you to buy a microphone today or a, a headset, um, what's the price of the headset? It is impossible to tell. It's the only way, the only way you can tell a price is by comparison. So if I say to you, okay, uh, this headset that does X, Y, Z, or Z, um, this is how much it costs. It costs $350. And then you can go, okay, so I'm going to buy a more expensive one or a cheaper one. But there is no way that you can say that this is more expensive than that or this is the price of the product. So, for instance, um, you probably heard of a website called lynda.com. Now, it's run by a woman called Linda Weinman, and uh, she's a personal friend of mine. Uh, they sell um, a membership site which has thousands of, of courses. I mean, they put out a course, an 18-hour course, every single day of the year. And uh, for the entire year, it costs $250. That's it. Now, in that in, in, in lynda.com, you can learn InDesign, which is a program that Adobe puts out, which does pages and stuff like that. And we have a product that costs more than $250. And it's just, it just shows you how to create an ebook in InDesign. But the difference is that the course that you do with lynda.com, it's going to take you 18 hours to to look through it, 18 hours to figure out what you have to do, and then 18 hours to implement it. And the book, uh, the course that we have, in one hour, you can be up and running. So now it's come down to value. It's like, is, my, is it worth spending $259 for one hour of training or $250 for 54 hours of training? And it comes down to value. And once you have value, you can charge pretty much any price. I see. So it's worth it for a lot of people to pay, say, three hundred dollars if if they're going to save, um, you know, three months' time of, of learning something them, themselves, right? Of course, and you're going to drop out, right? I mean, you are you actually going to go through fifty-four hours? You probably get to hour three before another shiny object crosses your path, or maybe you get to hour three and then you have a crisis, 
I'm not Linda's site is amazing. I use it almost every day, uh, but it's a it's a different price point. And and when you look at you look at say 5000 BC, that's our membership site. It's the same price as as Linda's site. And the the point is that you have to ask yourself what are you selling, and why would it be worth for someone to pay fifty dollars or seventy nine dollars, and, and what is your strategy in the whole thing? So the pricing book tackles this. It says, you know, should you go up the scale and then down the scale, or should you start at the most expensive? Because when you look at a lawyer, for instance. Maybe you don't start at $12 and you don't start at $50. You start at $1,000 for their service and then you continue to buy other stuff which might not be $1,000. But what is your doorway? And that's the kind of stuff that you have to not figure out, but I mean, it's, it's, it's quite well documented in the book. It's, it's, you, what you have to figure out is either am I going to do this like, you know, the smaller, then bigger, then bigger product, almost like a, a dinner? Uh, or am I going to do a situation where the biggest, uh, a really big product, maybe it's $500, that's the doorway. And then the next product is $29 because that's what happens. I mean, a client will buy the article writing course and probably the first time they run into us will be at a workshop, which will be $1,000. And then the next thing they buy is $19. And it doesn't have to make sense. That's the doorway. I see. So through the process of, of you know, coming to the workshops and then buying your book, you're, you're strengthening that relationship again and again and again through different products. Yeah. Well, the, your sequence can go through um, – it can be like a growing sequence which goes up and then comes down. It can be a sequence based on a single product, for instance, just, say, writing. So in writing, you have subsets like – uh, storytelling, outlining, whatever. Uh, and you, a third sequence could be that uh, it's based on strategy, where the first product is very low, like you said, or extremely high. It doesn't have to be low. Uh, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. But once they're in the system, then probably the dinner sequence is still the best way to go. I want to shift gears here. I want to ask you about a concept that I heard in one of your podcast episodes, uh, and I think it's very, very powerful. Um, in episode number 23, you say that the number one deal killer is uh, neediness, and you advise people to, um, when they're selling a product, to create barriers to the sale, You know, create barriers or hoops that the customer has to go through. Um, and I want to ask you, how do you uh, compromise between these two opposing forces of your desire to sell a product and that also that motivation to buy your product from the customer side. I don't think that need yeah, I I don't think there needs to be a compromise. I I don't think there needs to be a compromise. Um I think that a lot of people are very eager to sell their product and fair enough, you know, they've been promised great riches, very quick riches and I don't think that's how the uh, most beautiful girl or guy in the in 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 the at university behaves. They don't actually throw themselves at everybody else. I think there's a great value in holding back, and it's more difficult. Um, so you have to create products or services that are so amazing that people say, "Wow, this!" You know, I'm willing to go through this to get there. Uh, some of the places, like say Machu Picchu, I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation. 
um, um, you know, you have to climb and go through a lot of trouble to get to that place. But people do it. And um, I think that the greater the barrier, the, I not think, I know that the greater the barrier, the more people will go through it. However, when you're starting out, maybe you want to make it easier. We've never made it easier for people. Um, we've, it's just something that we've inherently not done. We've always made it, we've always made clients qualify at some level, even if it means filling in a longer form, um, either sub subjecting them to an interview, doing something. We're always putting barriers in the way. And I think that uh, it makes a huge difference. Uh, even now, when we're doing the workshop in Washington, D.C., uh, we've sent all the notes to the clients. We send it one one month in advance. Uh, we don't just give it to them on the day itself. But we require that they read it. We require that they buy the brain audit. Uh, the course is almost a thousand dollars. You can get the brain audit from Amazon for nine ninety nine. But if you don't have the brain audit, we refund the thousand dollars. It's that simple. I see. So your formula here is um, the way that you convince people to buy at the same time that you're, you're pulling away is you're demonstrating the value of the product. You're, you're making the product the star, but you're not trying too hard to close anyone. Is that correct? Correct. Because the moment you start pursuing them, um, you have an inherent... I mean, you look at anything in life. I mean, if, when someone is after you, uh, you have the the status level. You know, you can you can be the top person on the planet. You can be the most um, powerful person on the planet. But the moment you need something from someone else, maybe you need to go to a doctor, and the doctor needs to tell you how you're doing. Well, you have to you have to become needy. You become needy, and then the doctor has the status level. So the the point is that. As far as you can, you shouldn't be needy because the more your your products and your services should speak for themselves. People should say, "Wow, this is so great that I'm willing to put in the effort." So even if you have a a, a free product, even if you're giving away something, so if I if I were giving away a free product, I should feel real pain giving it away. I shouldn't treat it like this is a free product. We give away. Um, we did a course in 2004 called the Brain Alchemy Masterclass. We used to, we used to sell it for it's, – it's still sold on the website for between 1500 to 2500 Sometimes we give it away. I mean we're giving away stuff that is valuable, that people are willing to pay for. But when we give it away, they have to fill in a form. They have to wait for a couple of weeks. They have to do this and they have to do that. We're not saying, hey, here you go. It's free. Throw it in a folder and don't look at it again. Okay, so is that one of your tactics um, for demonstrating value is decoy pricing or at least you know, saying that this course is worth uh, you know, thousands of dollars but we're giving it away for this price? Is that, that one way to motivate people? It's not decoy pricing. We're actually selling it. Um, it's that we decide at some point in time, maybe we want to give this away. Uh, we don't do it very often. Most of the time, our products are more expensive than other people's products. Our services are more expensive. And people tell us that the first time they buy from us, they feel a lot of resistance. They, they actually feel that uh, they have to think about it. But the second time they buy from us, 
they don't think about it. I mean, I I wouldn't hesitate to say that we sell products and services faster than anyone on the internet. I mean, most of our courses get you know they're at three two three thousand dollars. They get filled up in the course gets filled up in twenty minutes. It's it's like ACDC in town. Um, that's not because we're some rock star, but because uh, th- most of the people who are signing up for the courses have done the course before. So any spots that remain or any spots that someone else takes, they get, but the rest of it are taken by existing clients. And that's the beauty of existing clients. If if you do an excellent job, then they will buy pretty much anything. I mean, you look at, say, a guy like, say, David, for instance, just at the top of my head. Now, David has come in the last year. He has, he's been to two, uh, two workshops with us. Um, he's, um, he's bought into the cartooning course. He's bought into the Photoshop course. He's done the article writing course. Um, David's a very successful uh, mortgage guy. Uh, he's not someone who you can pull the wool over at all. But why would David come back? That's the question you have to ask. What would cause David to come back time and time again? And when you have the answer to that, the answer is always, you're doing such a great job that David doesn't have any hesitation. I mean, you go to a great restaurant where they serve you an outstanding meal, and you don't have a, you don't have, you know, they call you and say, hey, um, or even if they make some kind of offer, you don't have any hesitation. Yeah, it's fantastic. If we can go back to that analogy of uh, rock stars for a moment, I'm thinking of uh, the band Kiss. Uh, when they when they started out their careers, you know, they they had uh, trouble selling albums. But once people went to their live events, and you know, they're breathing fire, they're smashing guitars, shooting rockets uh, at the events, um, their fans, you know, kind of latch on and become their customers for life, right? Yep. I mean, it's it's not a very complicated thing. Uh, a lot of what is being sold on the Internet is that there is an easy way. And I'm saying that there is no easy way. If you want to, if you know, the best work that you've ever seen in life, um, the, the fabulous paintings, the best food, uh, that's not all this nonsense about the four-hour work week. It's not about outsource everything and do everything. I mean, there there is a there is an advantage to outsourcing, even when even when um, the great artists, you know, in the Renaissance, they had a whole group of people working on stuff. So there is a factor of outsourcing and stuff. But you have to remember that if you want to create great stuff, you can't create it in, in an average person's time. You have to put in more than average. You have to you have to study more. You have to understand more. You have to put in more. Um, if you buy one of our books, like the pricing book, you will find, you know, amazing artwork in it. This is why, – why do we have to put an artwork into a, a, a marketing book? Why do we have to spend two hours writing a, a recipe in a marketing book? Why do you have to have so many captions and cartoons and stuff like that? It's taken two extra weeks to just do that bit. But the point is that a client is willing to wait two more weeks just to get those cartoons, just to get the stuff. So you have to create stuff that is mind-blowing. I mean, when uh, when you receive it as a client, you should go, you know, how can I get the next thing? That's the kind of feeling you have to create. It's It all comes down to creating magic, as you, you say in your podcast in the first episode. And um, creating magic comes down to creating a great experience for the customer, would you say? Exactly. I mean... If it's not, if it's not, if it's, 
if it's not magic, it's not magic. It's just that simple. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, the, your level of magic will change. Um, the, the guy, David, I was talking to you about uh, yesterday. Now, he's learning cartooning and he's learning uh, Photoshop under me. But his comment yesterday was, hey, Sean, in the last six months, your work has really improved. So I've been drawing and, and coloring and doing all the stuff for the last 30 years. But even so, I'm always tearing away from the, the pack. I'm always pushing my own boundaries. And when I do that, then the client experiences a different uh, output. I mean, they, they get a different product. For instance, even with the podcast, a lot of people have said, you know, episode 33 is like so much better than episode two or three. But I can tell you right now that episode 63 will be mind-blowing. And then episode 93 will be even more mind-blowing. I have no idea how we'll get there. But I will do a course. I will learn stuff. I will do whatever it takes to get them a great product. I want to hook them. I want our our product, our, our, our courses, our, our brand to be Hotel California. <laughs> That's a great point you just brought up there, too. I've noticed this as well uh, in my own entrepreneurial journey. I call it the, the principle of accelerating returns. Um, so the longer you, you do your podcast, the better you get at creating awesome podcasts, is what you're saying, basically. In a way, yes. I mean, you can get better at anything just by, just by doing stuff. Just, you know, not learning anything. Yes, but if you actually, you know, I'm. I just today, you know, so I'm going to the states. I've just bought in. I've just bought some new microphones. I bought new headsets. Why? I already have microphones. I already have headsets. The you know, when I come back, I'm going to be doing a course on on how to mix stuff, how to improve levels. And I have no idea what I'm getting into or why I'm getting into it. I just know that there is an improvement scale and that until I reach that scale, which I never will reach, I will continue to do that. So the factor then becomes one of time. How do you continue to produce all this stuff all the time and how do you continue to improve it? And so the battle is always... How do you make more time to do the same thing? Um, and the answer is not, not necessarily by outsourcing. And this is why my whole revulsion with books, especially, for instance, the four-hour four work week, I don't have any, any qualms about bringing up a, a book like that. A lot of people love it and great for them. But the, the magic doesn't come from shortcuts. It comes from figuring out how can I do the same thing ten times better in a fifth of the time or a tenth of the time or half the time. Yeah, I think a lot of people have the wrong idea, especially when they see this concept of the four-hour work week and um, they don't want to work. You know, They're getting into it because they want the, free, the, the freedom. They don't want to have a boss. They want to be able to set their own hours. Um, but in reality, I mean, even Tim Ferriss, you know, he, he spent uh, 80 hours a week to create that business that he mentions in the book, uh, his supplement business. And then he, he, he simply managed to uh, make the business smarter and run without him. But he didn't create it by right. working four hours a week. And, and you can be sure you can be sure he's still spending 80 hours a week. I have never, ever run into people who are exceedingly good at what they do um, and they're spending time at the beach. You know, they, and this is the fundamental as well. And this is the flip side that they have 
now got to a stage where they're spending so much time working that they don't take time off, and which is why the three-month vacation podcast. I mean, this is this is the whole thing that we set in right at the start. We were very determined that that life happens now. It doesn't happen when you're 60 and you have to retire and then you can go on this cruise ship and stuff. It happens now. And so 10 years ago, uh, not 10 years ago, in 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago, when we started out with psych- psychotactics, we started at the end of 2002. By 2004, just a year and a few months later, we, do, we did our first three months. Now, the first year was a mistake. We took three months off at one go, and that was too much. It was too much for us, too much for our clients, too much for everyone. And then, of course, we had to work for the remaining nine months, so it made no sense. So now the vacation is every three months, you really work hard. One month, you just relax. And, and, and really, that's what life has to be. It has to be a factor of I, – I really like the analogy of pilots and planes and stuff because no one would step into a plane that flew forever. We want the plane to land. We want them to do the maintenance. We want them to refuel. We want them to do that. When it comes to human beings, we seem to forget it. We seem to think that everything is on autopilot. I mean, there is so much. There are so many analogies that fit in beautifully with planes. You know, I mean, just the the force, the gravity. You have to fight gravity to just get something off the ground. And the planes of today are are probably five times heavier than the planes that they used to fly in World War II. Um, they are up there and serving food and doing all that stuff. I mean, this this concept of, of autopilot is highly overrated. A pilot never goes on autopilot. I mean, we're actually seeing some of the problems that pilots have because the plane has taken over. You know, the, a lot of airlines are going now, oh, sorry, you know, we have to train our pilots because they're letting the computers do all the stuff and the pilots are not able to cope with with problems. And this is what happens with businesses. You know, they, they get successful either by fluke or otherwise, and then suddenly they think, oh, it should work and it's not working anymore. And, and then they have to do all these crazy things and usually you get crashes. Yeah, that's fantastic. I noticed that there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there and um, people creating ebooks, for example, and they, they outsource a lot of the writing, you know, or outsource the research. You know, they like to create books that they, they spent zero time on, and then they'll just, you know, try to throw that up. And, and it doesn't seem like it, it, that would work very well to me. But I think that one concept that you actually talk about, and, and you mentioned this in your podcast, uh, is the power of enough. And, and maybe that's the, the key to uh, designing your lifestyle. You mentioned that, you know, once a gas tank is full, it's full. So, you know, un- understanding what is your enough, and then once, once you've reached that goal, then you can kind of step back. Is that, is that what you advocate? Yes. I mean, we've – my wife doesn't like me saying this, but because she thinks that it sounds really like we're not earning or we're not earning a lot, but we are. Um, and – to me, if I earn the same amount that I earned back in 2007, that would be enough. I mean, that is more than I need at any given point in time. What is the point of making a million dollars, five million dollars? What's the point of making five into ten? Now, as human beings, we have this concept of we have to put away something, so we keep trying to earn more so that we can somehow – kind of control our lives or control our future. 
but at what cost? And you have to remember that if you can generate X number of dollars, probably say enough for you to to take your vacations, to take time off, and then maybe have a substantial amount to put aside. And it happens. It's it's not it's not instant, but it happens. Um, that's enough. You don't have to actually increase your profits by three hundred percent or five hundred percent. That's completely pointless. A lot of the people um, now, especially, you know, a lot of bloggers have decided that okay, we'll we'll, we'll to be really honest with you. We're going to publish our money counters and how much we're making. But there's a huge downside to that because now your ego is completely tied to that money counter. Supposing you made $30,000 this month. Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to say, I made 30000 this month and the next month and the next month? And the... It makes you look really bad. So they make it 40000 and then 50000 but to make that 50000 now you have to spend that much less time with your, with your family, that much less time at the beach. So someone will say, well, I went on vacation. Well, the vacation was three days. You flew across the, you know, from, from, say, the U.S. to Thailand, and you had a, a conference for three days, and then you spent two more days at the beach, and then you flew back, and you said, well, that was my vacation. I don't think so. I, th- I think you have to you have to you have to plan your life around f- we sit down at the start of the year plan our vacations and we plan our work around the vacations and that's how you know that you have control over your life. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. I think that so many people um you know tie their whole self-worth to the numbers in their bank accounts and um there's so much more to life than that. Yeah. Uh, Sean? I'm still here. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah uh, speaking of which, uh, I know you have a uh, date with your niece. You're going on a field trip soon, so you have to uh, get off the call in a minute. Yeah, um, we can we can stick on for another five minutes. We should be okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, awesome. So, Sean, I just want to thank you so much. Um, I've learned a lot from listening to your podcast, and I encourage everyone to go look up your podcast, uh, Three Month Vacation. There's a lot of short and sweet episodes uh, and a lot of takeaways. I I learned uh, one really good takeaway, which is this bikini principle that you mentioned in your podcast, uh, where you actually reveal a little bit of your, your, maybe the first chapter of your book or 20% of your course. I'm going to start applying that now. How can someone else learn more about you or what's a good front-end product that you recommend people to check out? I would say go to Psychotactics, uh, but, you know, you can just as as easily go to the three-month vacation. Uh, It's on iTunes and on on Android as well. Just look it up and you'll find it. Uh, Or you can just go to psychotactics.com slash podcast and you'll find it there. Um, the, the, a good starting point is the brain audit. Uh, you can get it on Amazon for nine ninety nine if you like, or you can come to our site and it's $139. But that's the course and everything else. So the, the, the point is go to Psychotactics, read or listen and decide for yourself. And I can tell you one thing. Once you get in, it's very difficult to get out. So <laughs> that's how we work. <laughs> Buyer beware, huh? Yes, beware, because you're going to be there for a long, long time. 
and <laughs> and there's there's no there's no um, fine print. It's all out there. It's all out there. And one thing I like that you do too is that you actually require people to read that book, The Brain Audit, before they can purchase your other programs. It's one of the barriers that you put up. And I think Correct. that's a great takeaway for any person listening to this who's a consultant. Um, you know, if, if someone wants to consult with you, you can tell them, hey, read my book first. You know, simple requirement. Yeah, but it's not just throw the read my book at them because mm-hmm. that can be taken that can be taken the wrong way. It's just um, essentially what you're doing is you're getting them through a sequence. And I would recommend that at some point in time they buy the book on pricing because it goes into more than just pricing. It it un, it gets you to understand how how customers look at a sequence, and it makes a big difference to your business. Fantastic. So, Sean, if there's um, one lesson um, about sales or business that you wanted to impart uh, before we wrap this up, um, you know, a main takeaway, what would that be? Well, I would say it's the same thing. It's just you have to um, you have to go back to the dictionary definition of a client, which is to care, protect, and guide. And I don't think you can go wrong there at all. I mean, once you actually look at the client as someone that you're going to look after, uh, it completely changes the way you look at them because when they scream back and they throw the the bottle at you because it's the bottle's too warm, the milk bottle's too warm, that's feedback. So it's just like bringing up a kid. And one day that kid grows up and um, hopefully they don't drop into a bad teenager. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love just that that simple mindset. You know, it just it changes your whole approach to um, acquiring customers and dealing with customers and, and just loving your customers. I suppose that's what it comes yep. down to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this fantastic interview, Sean. Um, I've learned a lot, and I hope the listener has as well. Thank you. It's it's been a pleasure. And have an awesome field trip with your niece. Where are you guys headed to? Oh, we're headed to the food store. We've been doing the same field trip for two years now. Uh, we go to the food store and explore a different side of it, uh, different packaging, different you know, weights and measures, foods, all kinds of stuff like that. So, yeah, it's the same same trip, different perspective. So you're, you're training her to be a marketer as well? Well, she's going to be a marketer and an artist and a designer and a cook and a chef and everything. I mean, there is no limit to what you can do in life if you don't believe in inborn talent. So um, she's going to be, I mean, we've done this with our clients. You know, they they uh, write and they draw and, you know, people say, well, I can't draw cartoons. Well, we've we've trained batch after batch of people that can draw cartoons now and will probably... Yeah, they'll tell you for themselves. But the point is that you you have to believe that you can learn it and you have to find a good teacher. And once you find a good teacher, that's all that matters. Well, thank you for being such a great role model, Sean. And uh, (laughs) thank you for your time on this call. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. And I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Have a good day. Yeah, bye-bye.